Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Michael Wilder. And as usual, I always state we have a wonderful guest, but we really have a really, really, really special <laughs> guest today. I mean, the most special guest. Now, I'm not going to mention anything about him being my son. And I, the scriptures say I shouldn't boast of my son because we should only boast of the Christ. Jesus, or the gospel itself, or the cross, but he's pretty close up there. So I will say he's he's a good he's a good young man. Okay, I can say he's doing good things, and I'm sure if he keeps doing what he's going to do, he's going to earn his way to heaven anytime now. Right, Matt? Is that is that correct? No, no, no. He's already there. It's a done deal. So anyway, back over to mother. Are <laughs> Ex-Mormon Christians United for Jesus. Find us at unveilingmormonism.com. That's unveilingmormonism.com. The subject today um, comes from the book that we have promoted a number of times over the last couple of months, which is um, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. Matt Wilder has a chapter in this book, Chapter 3, An Insider Tour of the Missionary Experience. And so Matt's going to talk to us today about what it's like to be a Mormon missionary. I especially want to gear this to the Christians who are listening to have some sense of how difficult it is to be a Mormon missionary and why there's a need for Christians to reach out to Mormon missionaries. Matt, thanks for doing this for us. Of course, happy to be here. <laughs> you say, actually, I kind of wanted to read the very beginning of your chapter. The odds are impossibly against us to all to ascend to heaven, God's mountaintop of eternal life through our own efforts. I try to work my way to God and his forgiveness through extra-biblical rules, rituals, and regulations while seeking the approval, absolution, and glory of men. This is the harsh and unforgiving mountain terrain of works-based religion, which causes exhaustion and blindness. I was gasping for the life-sustaining oxygen of God's true word, but instead I received the painful frostbite of sin's wages. Um, welcome, Matt. Tell us about this Mormon missionary experience, what it's like. Yeah, so Pastor Ross Anderson a couple years ago uh, reached out to me um, after our ministry. Adams Road had done some training at a church, Centerpoint Church in Orem, Utah. And uh, I was sharing a little bit in a PowerPoint presentation about the LDS Mormon missionary experience, right? And he was interested in um, getting that story down in writing and possibly having it part of a larger project that the Lord had laid on his heart. And so by God's grace, that ended up being a part of this um, book, as you mentioned, responding to the Mormon missionary message. And so what you read there was just a little excerpt from the first, from the chapter that I wrote. And I start out by kind of comparing the Mormon mission or this works-based summit attempt of Mormonism in general of trying to earn salvation, earn eternal life to like 
try to climb up Mount Everest and all the kind of atrocities and dangers involved with that. And as you get closer and closer to the summit, the ambition of and the warnings of other people trying to tell you to turn around, but then there's that ambition to want to get to the top and earn this this reward, this accolade. Um, and I, I kind of allude to the danger of that and how many frozen exposed corpses there literally are today just sitting at the top of Mount Everest from people who haven't made it back down. They get above what's called the death zone, right? And so I kind of use that to kind of jump into this um, conversation about Mormonism in general, this workspace summit attempt in this religious system, and also my experience in the Mormon mission and kind of the burden, the guilt, the weight, the expectations that were upon me to earn salvation and to proclaim this message, this workspace message to people in, in the area where I was serving. And I was called to serve as a Mormon missionary in Denmark. And so this chapter starts out by, um, talking about how you prepare to be a Mormon mission and then the Mormon church calls you to go somewhere for two years, how it's like a rite of passage if you're a young Mormon male. And at that time, that's 19 years old, right? And so from 19 to 21, I literally traveled land and sea. I left family, friends, personal pursuits to just devote all of my time and energy to serving the Mormon church in that capacity. And they had called me to go to Denmark. And so preceding my experience in Denmark before I moved there, I needed to go to what's called the to the missionary training center. And I went there for nine weeks to sit in a classroom basically all day and just learn the doctrines and try to learn the language a little bit so I could start trying to communicate this message of that that works-based religion with Mormon people. So, so when you were in the MTC, I was a professor at BYU and the missionary training center that you went to was right there in Provo. Utah, and yet it has these kind of high walls all around it. And although I could drive by it, I had no access to you. You had no access to us except for weekly emails at the time. And so much of what you experienced, we were unfamiliar with, right? And when you were struggling, there there really wasn't this connection, right? Um it's very difficult for Mormon missionaries, I think. There's loneliness, there's pressure. Um, tell us about some of that, Matt. Tell us about the MTC first. Yeah, so, so yeah, getting through the pressure and the loneliness. So just growing up, I generally, I dealt with a lot of guilt. I, I had a lot of guilt. I felt unworthy. I lacked an assurance that I was saved, and I was trying to earn God's forgiveness through this religious system. Of, of proving myself worthy, right? And being on this cycle, this this hamster wheel of works and and not never really knowing at any moment whether I had done enough. And this same type of pattern and mindset continued into the Mormon mission. And so I, I immediately, even in the missionary training center, just was constantly guilted with wanting to know whether I was worthy to even be a Mormon mission, missionary, whether, you know, I had sufficiently repented of all my past sins and whether my confessions were were, were good enough to uh, merit God's forgiveness so to speak and I'll even I'll even share a little excerpt from from the book here about my experience how it manifested itself not only emotionally and internally and spiritually so to speak but I think also physically as I dealt with some of the 
probably the worst headaches that I've ever had up to date in my life today. I, I think at the time, I think looking back, I probably just had a really severe sinus infection. But the timing of that sinus infection that correlated with all the guilt and stuff that I was going through, it was pretty interesting. So I write here, we're required to wake up at 6.30 a.m., but I would get up at 5.30 to study the language. Non-stop, class, non-stop classes and activity for nearly two months pushed my limits. And I developed a severe sinus infection with constant throbbing and barely tolerable pain. Perhaps the headaches were just an external expression of my internal struggles that included guilt, confusion, fear, and uncertainty. I thought I was being punished and tormented for my unworthiness. Had I truly confessed every detail of my past transgressions to my bishop? When I did that stupid thing when I was 16, perhaps the bishop should have given me more of a probation to earn my right, my way back in good standing. Do I need to confess my past sins again? Maybe then all the pain, both internally and externally, would come to an end. And then I read, eventually as the headaches subsided in the nine weeks that the MTC came to an end, I flew to Denmark to begin the next stage of my quote-unquote best two years. So yeah, I mean, I was I struggled a lot, both physically and emotionally, from the beginning in this journey. And as you know, you're kind of cut off from communication with the familiarity of family and friends. And so... um. Yeah, it was an interesting process. And so I go overseas and and I talk in the book a lot about um, what what is a Mormon mission? What's the structure of it look like? Um, what are some of the practical day-to-day things that you do? I talk about the busy schedule, how you're up really early, you're studying, then you're out the door proselytizing basically all day, right? And it's very regimented. You always have to be with your companion. It's very legalistic and rules-based. Um, I talk about how it's kind of run like a business. The Mormon mission, I was impressed with the efficiency of it. I mean, you have uh, levels of authority and accountability starting from, you know, each each mission has like districts and zones and and assistance to the presidents and just all kinds of leaders and, and, and layers to it of accountability. And so I write here, for example, talking about that, I say an LDS mission is well-oiled. It's like a well-oiled machine with accountability at every level efficiently run like a business. In my experience as an LDS missionary, an emphasis was placed on goals and numbers. There were goals for the mission as a whole, as well as goals for zones, districts, and companionships. Every day, week, and month had number goals. How many baptisms did we have this month? How many discussions did we teach today? How many invitations did we offer to investigators this week? How many new contacts did we make this afternoon? How many service opportunities did we engage in this month? The leadership pressured us to meet these goals. When we met our goals, we were praised and celebrated. When we didn't, we felt shamed, ignored, guilty, and insignificant. Ooh, now camp there for a minute. Why? And who made you feel that way? Maybe some of that was self-inflicted, just the pressure you put, but there was definitely a reward system, right? So that when you did good things they wanted to reward that good behavior by celebrating it and honoring you in front of other people um so it was like measured success right so if you did something that externally seemed successful in the eyes of other people they they would reward you and honor you before everybody else and then if you didn't even if you had the same heart even if you worked as hard but you just didn't see that same perceived success in your efforts right then you would feel like you weren't quite on that same level 
So how often during one day did you have to contact people or during a week? Tell us about some of those numbers, goals. Um, Honestly, I don't remember the specifics. I just know that we had certain goals for a week, like certain monthly goals about how many people we needed to baptize, uh, invite to be baptized in the Mormonism, how many people we were supposed to baptize within a certain amount of months and Every day and every week we had like contact goals and a contact would mean that you'd, um, you know, talk with somebody and discuss something with them uh, regarding Mormonism. And then you would get their number and their name so that you would re-engage with them at a future point or you'd have discussion, like certain amount of discussions. So you'd try to teach a certain amount of lessons per day and per week. And then every day, I believe it was every day, pretty much like. If I was in a certain district, my district leader would call me at the end of the day and wanting to have specific numbers on how many contacts did you get? How many discussions did you teach? How many baptismal invitations did you give out? How many baptisms did you have? So there was a lot of accountability there. Let's put this in context for for a Christian. The Book of Mormon actually says you are blessed both temporally and spiritually if you live the commandments. So the idea is if you're living the commandments and pleasing Heavenly Father, then baptisms are going to come to you, right? Um, Doors are going to open for you to teach the right people. And so if you're not meeting those goals, the onus is on you and perhaps you've sinned or you've done something wrong. It's a huge burden for these Mormon missionaries to carry that come into your homes, Christians. I really felt for the missionaries and it's a hard, it's a hard, hard job. It's very stressful. It's, it's working like crazy. And it's just, when you were talking there, Matt, it sounded like things I would talk about in the business world about, you know, getting response to uh, uh, business sales, you know, are you making money? What, how are we going to help the corporation make more money and make its goals and its profits and so forth? And that's the same way that you guys were required as Mormon missionaries. This, you got to get those numbers in. So how is this helpful for Christians to know, Matt? Um, what would you suggest that Christians do knowing this yeah it's just having a little bit of compassion for them understanding um maybe some of the emotional burdens and stress they're dealing with is also also physically i remember getting home off my mission and wanting to just sleep for like 24 hours straight (laughs) i actually had a companion and and every day for lunch instead of eating he chose to sleep rather than eat because he just he just would prefer he just needed that sleep and it was yeah, so there's an exhaustion, I think, connected with it. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think there's a connection there. And just realizing um, that these kids, a lot of them are working for their salvation, and they don't have that rest that we can find in Jesus. And we want to be there and available to connect with them relationally and offer what Jesus offers through his word. Um, I'm going to ask you first this question. I run into a lot of Christians who believe that Mormons are Christian, right? mm -hmm. What kind of a case would you make to Christians for witnessing Jesus to Mormon missionaries? And then tell us a little bit about how to do that. So first of all, for those who think that that Mormons are just Christians or it's another denomination, um, 
I'd say, you know, institutionally, Mormonism is not just another denomination. Institutionally, what Mormonism teaches as the gospel of Jesus Christ is another gospel. It doesn't align with what's taught biblically, what's taught in the Bible. And so the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so just being familiar with the biblical gospel uh, as our commission as as a ministry and, and what Jesus tells us to do is to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. So we have hearts for testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. And so our focus in our interactions as a ministry with uh, LDS people and with Mormon missionaries is specifically trying to center it around the gospel of the grace of God. And so what is the gospel of the grace of God? First of all, it's centered around the fact that as we learn in first Corinthians chapter 15, as the apostle Paul states that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus um, is God manifested in the flesh. He's God's one and only son, came to live the perfect life we could never live. And then as our substitute, he died on the cross and paid the penalty in full for our sins, punishment that we deserve for our sins. He was in the grave three days and rose from the dead, which was vindication before us that God loved him and that he was the chosen messiah and that god's word and promises are true and uh, so jesus was raised for our justification and so jesus did everything necessary for us to be saved we can't add to that finished work that we either believe it and receive it as a gift or we deny it and we try to enter heaven another way jesus talks about I am the door. If anyone, if anyone would enter by me, he will go in and out and be saved. Um, but there are thieves and robbers who try to enter into the gate to the sheep pen in other ways. And, and that's because there's only one way to enter into heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Mormonism is just another, it's, a, it's a, another means to try to get into heaven, which God won't accept. He won't permit because Jesus is the only way. And it's the biblical Jesus. It's not another Jesus. It's not the Jesus as defined by extra, extra biblical teachings. It's the Jesus as defined in God's word. who We come to know and believe and trust. And so just being on the same page there, first of all, is understanding that the Mormon Jesus isn't the biblical Jesus. The Mormon gospel says, for by grace you have been saved after all that you can do. Whereas the biblical gospel says in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it's by grace that we're saved, not because of works, right? Mm. It's not in anything we can boast in. And so based on that, then we want to, um, sorry, what was the other question? So there's, there's a difference there. It's not, it's not a Christian organization. Yeah. Um, them, you're asking? Yeah. So that's, that's right. So how would we connect with them? So one of the things I point out in this chapter is I'm talking about relationally how I was impacted by um, a Christian family in Denmark who invested into us. Um, they got to know us individually, had, took personal interest in us as people and cared about us and engaged with us over a series of many visits over months. And this family, the mother of this, this family, um, I remember her listening respect, respectfully to all of our messages. And one day after she heard our, our message about what the Mormon gospel was, uh, that it was necessary that we have all of these works and ordinances that we needed to partake of and do in order to earn eternal life. And some of that included Mormon temple works. She responded with a very simple question. She asked, why can't what Jesus did on the cross be enough for you? Why can't what he did on the cross be enough to save you? 
she was emphasizing and exposing the fact that Jesus wasn't enough and that we thought that we had to add to the finished and perfected work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation through all of these extra biblical works within this religious system and these rites and these rituals. And so um, basically she was bringing it back to the simplicity of the cross. And she was doing this in a way that was respectful, which was mostly listening to us to find out what we believed and where we were coming from, but then engaging with questions, the Socratic method. And so she wasn't telling us anything per se in a way. She was respectfully asking us to get us to think. And I think that was effective. And in light of that, um, there's certain stress points that um, I personally struggled with as a Mormon, points of vulnerability that I think are effective when we're witnessing them to kind of hone in on. And these are things like worthiness, forgiveness, assurance. You know, many struggle to feel worthy before God. Many have no confidence that they're forgiven or will live with God for all eternity. Many are exhausted in their effort towards perfectionism. So we want to use questions to touch on these stress points, and this can be effective. Like, what's a question we could use as a Christian reaching out to a Mormon? Uh, do you ever feel unworthy? Or like, if you were to die today, where do you think you would go and why? Or here's another one. If you're conf Are you confident that God has fully forgiven you for your sins? Here's one more. Do you feel you have met all of your re religion's requirements for eternal life? So these kind of questions expose, are they trusting in Jesus or are they trusting in the works? We want to, um, you know, if people are honest, a lot of times you will realize they don't have that assurance because you can't have an assurance unless you're resting in Jesus and what he did. Kind of a cool metaphor that I like sharing is in Mormonism, I really looked up to Jesus as an example, which is great. Jesus is an example, but more than that, as it relates to our salvation, he's our substitute. And so like the Mormon gospel would say, watch and look what Jesus did. He, he was in this pit and he had this ladder and he climbed out. And, and now you follow his example and you're in this pit. Now you climb out too. Um, but the, the issue and the problem is, is that we're blind, we're lame, you know, our, our legs are broken. We don't have any arms that, you know, we are completely incapable of saving ourselves and climbing out of this pit. And so the, the biblical gospel says, Jesus came down from heaven, became like a man, but humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he, he carries and he saves and he carries us out of that pit. And we just have to receive that gift and trust in what he did for us. And that was my experience. And, and trying to uh, climb this um, this mountain, this workspace mountain and summit it, uh, I was exhausted and I was gasping for air. And the, the further along I got in this process, the, the more out of breath I was, the colder it got. I was dealing with, as I talked about, frost, <laughs> sins, frost bites, wages or whatever I said. But um, Jesus came and he, and he carried me on eagle's wings, like, from that to God's holy mountain, he brought me to, to to a whole different area that was just teeming with life and assurance and rest in Jesus and relationship with Him, and um, that was that was through um, just coming to accept the biblical gospel of grace. And so, there was a point in time in my Mormon missionary as a Mormon missionary where I became so overwhelmed with guilt, probably the most guilt I'd ever endured in my entire life that. I had my mission president travel across the entire country of Denmark to meet with me in person. And I thought my mission was over because I, I felt this need to reconfess again, all of my former sins, because I didn't know whether I had 
confess them in enough detail, whether um, God had forgiven me or whether I had done enough probation or jumped through enough hoops or earned that forgiveness from God. So um, I was essentially seeking absolution for my sins through an earthly authority. And I did this time and time again in Mormonism. And, and so I'd have the approval of men, but this didn't seem to do anything to resolve that guilt or that question as to whether I was truly saved. And so at some point after my Mormon mission, when the, when my eyes were open to the truth and I began reading the Bible and especially the book of Hebrews, I came to understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross is once and for all offering for my sin is completely sufficient to put away my sin and deal with my guilt. And that there was all these gifts and sacrifices that I was offering through my religion to God, trying to earn forgiveness and deal with my guilt. Just like in Judaism, there were gifts and sacrifices offered that could not perfect the conscience or the worshiper that were only pointing to Jesus. And it says in Hebrews 9.14, though, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God? purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so I came into a personal and saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And for the first time in my life, um, you know, a little while after my Mormon mission, I, I, I cried out to my heavenly high priest, Jesus. I asked for forgiveness from him. And he responded in such a, a real and intimate and personal way and, and brought me into new life and breathed his love and his life into my soul. And I remember just um, falling asleep one night after I had called upon the name of the Lord, asking for salvation, asking for forgiveness, and uh, falling asleep in despair and exhaustion, and waking up a couple hours later, in the middle of the night to a warming and love presence who spoke in my soul and said, my kingdom is not of this world. And then uh, my heart was just filled with love. It was the love of God, I believe, was being poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit who was given to me in that moment when I trusted in Christ by his grace. And, and so my life's been changed and it's never been the same. And, and the one thing that happened when I came into a relationship with Jesus and when he poured his love into me was that I knew that he loved me, that what he did on the cross was enough to save me, and that my sins were forgiven. And I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse I think it's 18 says, now where there's um, forgiveness of these, where there's remission of these, there's no longer offering for sin. So in other words, what Jesus did on the cross was completely sufficient to permanently put away our sin forever. And so all of my offerings, all the things that I was trying to offer to God to hide my sin and cover it, kind of like a fig leaf, those things were futile, but uh, those were no longer necessary. They were never necessary because Jesus, once and for all offering, his death would cross for our sins pleasing to God the Father and is completely sufficient to do what we never could. Amen. Amen. And that is the Thanks. perfect place to tie up. We will have a part two with Matt. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. And may God bless.